Hello and welcome to Behind the DM Screen once again. This is the March 2015 episode, and this is the show where you get three DMs with 15 minutes on the clock talking about our campaigns, discussing problems, getting ideas, etc., etc. And first to go tonight is going to be Andy Meyer. Andy, 15 minutes on the clock. Awesome. So uh, we've had two sessions since last we spoke, uh, one for January, one for February. Um, those keeping score at home may remember we're doing the, um, the Tyranny of Dragons, although we're doing the uh, completely off the rails edition by now. <laughs> <laughs> um, is that a special, it, special leather bound release? Is that what it, it is? <laughs> you know, it, it, it was on Kickstarter. It costs like 5000 or something like that. Oh, there you I, go. Yeah. I don't know why Mike Burleson come on it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, so it all started uh, in that first dungeon uh, at the cultist um, uh, encampment, uh, where the party decided to um, to take an eight-hour rest in the middle of a dungeon. How'd that work for him? Um, not well, not too well because. Uh, they had the guards stumble on them and interrupt their sleep, so it became a 12-hour rest. <laughs> um, and then uh, I decided that um, Frolam, is that her name? Frolam? Fru- well, yeah. Frulam is how I pronounce it. I get the names wrong. So but it doesn't matter. Frulam Mondath. Yeah. I decided she packed up and left. All her kobolds were decimated. Are you sure it wasn't Onthar Froom? Othar Froom is the guy that you meet in I know, uh, I know. I'm, Elturel. I'm ribbing you, Mike, because you always say, what? you always mix up Onthar Froom and. Oh, did I? Yeah. Because mm. Froom and Frulam sound the same, so. Yeah, the names are. Yeah. Well, you're also confusing an old man. Come on. Oh, <laughs> ouch. Now, that, that's talking about myself. Me? Oh. <laughs> ah, moving along, nothing to see here. The names confuse me. Yeah. Um, so, so, and there, there was just a, a couple rooms left, so so we were coming back from a month long break, and and uh, one of the the players couldn't make it, so um, I, I kind of um, uh, decided that he he went out scouting and never came back because he was taken prisoner by them as they took off. Um. So after that, they went back to uh, Greenest, 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 yeah, Greenest, um, and that's where Jeff decided he wanted to go onto his third character. So his pacifist, overly pacifist cleric, stayed um, in town, and he brought out a uh, a dwarven uh, druid cleric, I guess, multi-class druid cleric. Who has a bit of a drinking problem, and when a dwarf has a drinking problem, you know there's trouble. He has a lot of drinking problems in D and D characters. <laughs> it's a common thread, I guess. Mm. Um, although he he's uh, he, he decided to add the story that uh, he drinks every set number of nights. I think it's five uh, to uh, drown out nightmares that he has about uh, about the storms being taken away, and so. Oh, what the heck, I threw that in as a story element. Uh, Tiamat's been stealing the storms. Ooh, interesting. Nice. So we'll, we'll see where, where that goes. I'm kind of um, playing along, and, and I bring it up every now and then how, you know, every now and then it rains, and you know, a little snow, but never anything hard. You know, it doesn't rain hard, doesn't no lightning, no thunder, no, you know, no actual weather, just, uh, just enough to keep the planet moving. Um... So from Greenest, uh, there was going to be there um, uh, was messages sent out that there could be a regional uh, council regarding the raids. Uh, so Greenest asked the party to represent them because they had nobody, um, nobody who was uh, had time for it because you know they're still recovering from their raid. Uh, so the party uh, moved on um, towards a, a city I completely made up. <laughs> Um, 
where the council would take place. Along the way, I had them come across a another small town that was wiped out by um, by cultist raiding. Just to um, inject uh, flavor into it to show you know that uh, the world is larger than, than just their view of it. Um, the council scene was kind of a, a bust because um, I, I wasn't really prepared to run multiple characters, multiple NPCs, and, and running multiple NPCs is hard anyway because you you know you just end up talking to yourself. Yeah. But um, while they were there, uh, the um, can I can uh, I actually wizard... stop you for a second? So when you say that sure. um, it was a bust because you weren't prepared, were you? Do you mean that you hadn't expected it to happen in that session, so you hadn't prepared, or did um, it just not go as well as you wanted it to? And and yeah. it, during it, you realized you weren't prepared enough. Yeah, the, the later I think I think uh, my 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 skills aren't uh, up to that level yet. I guess I would say as a DM, um, you know, I'm getting to the point where I can whip out, you know, one or two characters mm -hmm. at a time on the fly, but to come up with a whole council, I was just asking too much of myself, I think. Well, even, you know, seasoned, experienced DMs have problems with that. I mean, you, yeah, it's, it's, it, it's one of the big challenges of, of running a game. So, yeah. I mean, don't. I'm just saying, don't beat yourself up. I was just curious what the whether it was just because it was surprising that you got there, or whether you just realized later that it you just weren't as as prepared as as you could have been. So, yeah, it, it was definitely the later, the the, the latter. Um, so one of the the characters is a wizard and, and decided he wanted to go to the uh, local um wizard academy or whatever you want to call it. Uh, to get some new spells. Uh, so I, I took a page out of Mike's book and had him run into a, his cousin who was running the place. <laughs> his cousin who is much better than him in every single way and never lets him forget. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that provides some interest. Um, after that, uh, you know, they, they learned that uh, mostly that there's been a lot of um, increased traffic heading north, you know, along all the trade routes. Uh, so they, so there was a suspicion that maybe the cult was moving their cargo north. So they decided to head north. Hmm. Um, and then uh, along the way, um, I had them. Um, there, there's a couple. There's a couple things I did that night for um, just uh, for kind of the world elements that were totally out of the book. Uh, one of them is they ran into another uh, another gnome selling goods. Uh, this time she was selling uh, fruits, if I recall correctly. Yeah, fruits. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that that threw some flavor in. And then um, another one was kind of a a, a ghost um, a ghost farm. Uh, I got this idea from there's that big mushroom thing. In the book, where they wake up and they're surrounded by mushrooms. Yeah, right. Yeah, so so I had them wake up and they, they were surrounded by fog, a very very dense fog. Mm -hmm. And as they walked through the fog, all they could they, they started hearing a lot of farm animals all around. Hmm. And that that kind of freaked them out <laughs> a little bit. So I had them travel through that. Uh, they came to another. They came to a, a small town where they could rest, and. Um, that's where uh, I had them meet uh, a creature I called a Netraline, just something I made up completely on my by myself, kind of. Well, I was inspired by other people, of course. Mm -hmm. um, so Netraline is kind of like think about um, the Hulk, only headless and gray, and hmm. a little more boxy. And then out out of his chest comes a pair of hands that holds a uh, humanoid head, like a elf head or a human head. In this case, it was an elf head. And that head uh, is a living head and provides guidance to the pot, to the body. So it's <laughs> like a symbiont. And then th these creatures are legendary in the world. Um, you know, few people believe that they even exist, and now here they have one right in front of them. And, and so for for the story, this is going to be their kind of their ally. Um, because I, I don't have any faction like the Zentarium 
Mm-hmm. So it, it'll fill that role. So that they were able to get some information uh, that would that helped put them on on a course and, and to let them know that they had allies. And uh, that's where that particular session wrapped up. And, and, and my uh, coverage here is a little spotty because it was in January. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but the other one was just last week. And so we, we um, picked up where we left off. Um, so I had the party. They started, uh, they left that town and they were going through a forest and they came upon um, the, the wreckage of a camp with their other party member. Uh, so they're, they're like a day and a half, two days behind Frullum, uh, who, who her caravan was attacked and they had to leave their prisoner behind because they had to get out of there. So the party was reunited. Um, once they got out of, uh, out of the forest, uh, they came to another town because there's towns all over the place. Um, Sorry about that. Um, they came to another town that uh, at, at night, and no one would open the doors for them, and no one responded. It was, it was uh, you know just after sunset. Um, the inn was closed. Uh, the residences that they they could tell people were there because you know there was smoke coming out of the residences, and, and there were they could see hear movement inside, but nobody would talk to them. So they they decided that uh, they were going to teach this town how how to how to be hospitable. So that they went scrounging around and got up all the ingredients they needed to make pancakes. And so their idea was they were going to sit in the middle of town and by, by morning they were going to have enough pancakes and bacon made for everybody to, to show them how to, uh, how to be hospitable with strangers. Um, of course that failed because the reason everybody was locked away is because a zombie horde came in the middle of the night. Hmm. And, so, I, you know, at first they saw zombies coming from one direction and then another and then another, and then shambling towards them right up to the edge of their uh, circle of light and then stopped. So, of course, they waited till over 50 zombies were sitting at the edge of their light <laughs> as, as they discussed what they should do about this, uh, this threat. And that's when they started to close in. So then we, we had a big battle with the zombies. Um, I, I think you'll find that on page 72 of the book. Yeah. Hmm. Um, which uh, they got through after um, after a lot of time. They're really coming into their power now. I think they're a fourth level now. Uh, so they're really able to deal with these threats pretty easily. I, I think um, balancing the numbers tends to be a little difficult. Making sure they have enough challenge without um, without going overboard. How many uh, how many players and what level? Uh, so there's five players at fourth level. Okay. And then I I didn't treat the zombies singly. I kind of divided them into six groups. Um, and then just had them, especially since they were mostly doing area attacks anyway. The party. So uh, yeah, you know, I, I just say okay. Well, if you're gonna attack this part of the circle, that's gonna affect these. 10 or whatever, uh, nine. No, 9 or 10, whatever, it doesn't really matter. Um, so I, I didn't roll, you know, necessarily for every single zombie. Um, so morning came, and people came out uh, of their houses, and, and the party was like, you know, what's up? Why didn't you tell us about the zombie horde? <laughs> and uh, so they, they found out that, uh, well, it was the night of the flaming tongue, and as everybody knows, you are not supposed to say a word during that night, or your tongue will <laughs> burn out and you'll die. <laughs> I forgot to tell you that on the way in. Yeah, yep. Part of it was like, well, couldn't, couldn't you tell us that? <clears throat> and they're like, no, otherwise our tongues will burn out and die. And they said, well, couldn't you put up signs? And they're like, eh, well, that might be telling you, kind of, sort of, and our tongues might burn with die. That's a really good idea. <laughs> Next year. Uh, so there's some back and forth, and they, they were getting ready to um, 
you know, give up on the town and the mystery when uh, they remembered that one person had said, go away. So they're like, well, what about that one person that said, go away? So that they then, uh, white members went, uh, kind of, you know, poking through all the houses and found a dead body with the tongue burnt out and ran back to the party and said, dudes, the curse is real. And, uh, so they, they decide, well, let, let's see if we can, you know, fix the curse. Um, and through an investigation, they learned that there, there was a, uh, a book of names that um, lists all the members of the town. All right, so there, there's a book of names that, that, that lists all the members of the town. And, and so those are the people who can be punished because they, they were like, well, we stayed up all night and talked and our tongues didn't burn off. And they're like, well, no, you're not a member of the town. We got this book here. And so, well, how, how do we get out of the book? Well, let's, uh, let's drink the water. So they drink the water and oh, one of their names appears in the book because he drank the water. And so I told that player, you have decided that this is the most beautiful place on the planet. You never want to leave. And the player totally played along. <laughs> so they, they, they worked through the mystery and, you know, discovered that, well, the, the well from, that the water comes from is the only thing that found people drink. Uh, the book is connected to the well. So let's throw the book in the well. And that, that uh, broke the curse. And um, that was that night. All right. Mike, do you have any questions for Andy before we move? Yeah, you mentioned at the beginning the um, that they rested in the middle of a dungeon. Yeah, yeah. So they the, they had used all their dailies and and uh, they were down on health, and so that you know it's you know the the old resource came from fourth edition, where you know well we need to rest and recover our resources because we keep using them, mm-hmm. and. You know, resting in the middle of an active dungeon doesn't really sound like a good idea. Um, mm-hmm. Although at, by that point they had cleared probably a good ninety percent of it, but the you know it was the the cultists that were left, and they're not just going to sit around and wait to be murdered. So, you know, I, I decided they they sent out scouting parties to determine what the threat was. While while they also packed up and got ready to leave just in case it was you know bad and with all their kobolds dead and and uh, the half-dragon dead, they decided it was bad and it was time to leave. Right. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm finding, so rests, both short and long rests are becoming a uh, topic of uh, consternation in a few different groups that I've been in and seen and, and discussions that I've had. Um, I have a friend who uh, feels that, you know, things really need to be built to be written around the idea of two short rests and a long re- long rest per day among whatever it is, six to eight encounters. I don't remember the exact amount, eight to ten. And that if you don't follow that model, you end up imbalancing classes because, you know, the 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 spellcasting classes are expected to have to fight through so many battles to expend their spells, and yet the non-spellcasting classes are going to be able to maximize their efficiency across all those fights. If you have too many rests, if you have, like, you know, a couple fights and then a, and then a full rest, or even in some cases a fight and then a rest, you, uh, you give way greater power to the spellcasters who can then, you know, if they know it, can burn all their spells and, you know, nuke everything while fighters are, you know, hitting for 1d8. And um, then the other thing I find is it can be because short rests are an hour, it can be hard for people to even find the good spot to do that in a active dungeon where people are wandering around. Um, so that's it's it's an interesting it's an interesting problem that I hadn't really seen in fourth because, you know, you get the reset of encounter powers no matter what. Five minute rests are easy to find. An hour rest might be pretty hard. So yeah, then, it's, it's an interesting situation that I'm seeing in a bunch of different places. Then an eight-hour rest. And then, then you, you throw the elves in who, well, we don't really sleep. We just meditate for a couple hours and we're good. Yeah, that always bothers they still, have, they still have to rest, though. I mean, yeah. that was the thing. I, my, my group just went through a similar thing of, of several sessions ago where uh, – I don't know if you remember, but they were in a temple and they were going to rest. And I made sure to be very clear about – the fact that if they rest in a very dangerous place, you know the 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 foes in the temple are not just sitting around. They're they're going to do things, 
and uh, and the group ended up deciding to go outside and leave the temple and and suffer whatever consequences will happen because they left the temple. Yeah. Um, and it, it turned out to be the right choice for them, but um, you know, if they had stayed in the temple, I was going to do all sorts of nasty things to them because it's just not. You know, in in fourth edition, a five minute rest. Yeah, you can bar the door for five minutes, yeah. and you know, just hope. But for an hour or for eight hours, no way. Yeah, so I've been I've been running things a lot more organically. I've been trying to say like, you know, I don't I don't care how many rooms are in the dungeon or how populated it is. I'm you know, or what rooms are safe or what rooms are not. Like I'm running the story, and this is the environment the way it is, and these are the way the people in that environment are acting. And it's up to you guys to figure out how the hell you're going to get to rest. And in some cases, that's been really tough for them. And and I've gotten feedback of like, you're not giving us the opportunity to get rest. Like we're all wiped out. And I'm like, it, it ain't me, man. You know, like it's a story. <laughs> you know, yeah. and they're like, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, you you could have put it. You could have given us a closet we can hang out in. <laughs> so it's and and so I've been doing more of that. Like you know, one thing is if there is a chance for them to rest, and they might not think there is, I might mention like, you think this, you know, and this is the common like old computer RPG thing. You think this might be a safe place to rest, you know? Right. A little bit of flavor text that's that gives you, a, you know, gives you a free perception check of yeah, you have a feeling that people don't travel here very often. This might be a safe place to take a rest. It's a little bit more gamey, but sometimes I think we need a little bit more gamey because running too organic can be just frustrating. Well, the thing is, it's 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 gamey, but you know, you you sort of have to. I think for me, you know, um, and and maybe this is a problem with with people who are switching from fourth edition, where you know, fourth edition relied on miniatures and maps and all this beautiful equipment, um, and so it made it really easy to not rely upon the DM's descriptions. Uh, and so it kind of trained people, including myself, who I've been playing for a long time with and without maps and et cetera, et cetera. But including me, I found myself, I had to sort of retrain myself back into describing entire scenes for the party before I laid out a map or whatever, because it was just too easy to not describe it, to just say, well, okay, here's the map. Yes, that bookcase is there. Yes, that's there. Yes, that's there. Boom, you're done. Now let's fight. Um, and in 5th edition, it, you really, you know, I'm, I, I've been trying to train my players to listen to the things I say and take the clues as they come. And, you know, if I mention, oh, there's spider webs, you know, all over the chair leg you notice, you know, you better be looking up in towards the ceiling to see if there's a big old spider web up there, right? I mean, that's just learn to take those clues. And, and if it, if I say, you know, oh, well, it seems like it's a very safe place or, oh, it seems very dangerous here. You know, you hear sort of random noises and it's obvious there's lots of activity in the area. Well, that's your clue to not rest. I mean, yeah. it's just too dangerous. Right, right. Um, but I think it, in fifth edition, it, it's, you kind of have to train your players and train your DM to, to provide yeah. those clues, and and at first you might have to you know be hitting them with a big old clue stick, you know. Mm -hmm. No, you think it is too dangerous right. to rest here, you know. That's why I described it as this way, and then you know later on that can sort of be more smoothly input into the story. But I think it's okay to to sort of force that issue at the beginning at least of a campaign. Right. Yeah, and I, I think they they got they kind of got the message, and it wasn't a, a big deal. Um, mm -hmm. I, I just wanted, you know, wanted them to know that people, the, the remaining Denzians of the dungeon aren't just going to sit around and wait for them to finish resting. All right. Well, Mike, you are next. Yay! So let me. I totally didn't know start. that was the case. Yeah. Start your timer. Boom. Timer's on. Go. I finished Horde of the Dragon Queen. Woohoo! Woo Last night <laughs> was my final night of one of my two Horde of the Dragon Queen games. And I expect that uh, Sunday will be the second, the end of the second of my two. Uh, the Sunday game is going to stop Horde of the Dragon Queen and start with Princes of the Apocalypse. And because it's an encounter, it's kind of an encounters game. It's an encounter slash casual mm -hmm. game, organized play. Uh, my Wednesday game is going to continue on uh, with Rise of the Tiamat. Uh, I will start with my one piece of advice 
that most immediately comes to mind. It may not be the most important piece of advice, but it's the one that jumps right out. Don't let the dragon run away at the end. Uh, by the way, this is full of spoilers for the record. Uh, the dragon can run away. It's, it's a, the, the whole last chapter is completely screwed when it comes to encounter balance. Um, I don't know if we noted this when we were reviewing it because maybe we didn't. I don't. I don't think I really noticed. So I took a close look at it, but the encounter balance in this is just could not be more out of whack. Uh, there is a scene. So your your group is level seven, and there's a scene where you fight two stone golems at the front of the gate, which are like CR fourteen guys. Um, and you know, I think the rule of thumb is you're never supposed to run a CR higher than the level of the player. Like that should be the maximum. Um, but in here, they're not only higher, it's like twice as high. Uh, I think it's, I think it's don't go, don't have any single creature two more CRs than in the average party level. Um, so it's all over the place. Uh, they have stone giants that they fight. They which I think are pretty high CR if I recall. Uh, they have, you know, piles of ogres. They have this vampire that kind of shows up out of nowhere and she's there and she's a problem. And vampires are crazy is that, high. Is that the, same is one, that the, the one? Is that the one that was buried on the cart during the caravan? You know, thing, or is that a, so the, is that the, the, the buried on the cart in the caravan remember. was my was my added thing. That's not in the book. Oh, okay. Uh, Giant. Uh, it is the castle at the end. Yeah. Yeah, the castle. Yeah. Right, and uh, you know, you, you, there's a fight against a cloud giant, and I think the cloud giant is balanced because there's an actual stat block for it in the book. So they got that one. But the actual, I, I used a real cloud giant, and the real cloud giant's pretty high CR. But that still worked out. Uh, yeah, they have a reduced a reduced cloud giant in here. It's like a lot fewer hit points. But it has more spells, so I don't know. Um, so I basically redid all of the encounters for the, um, for the final, you know, for the, for the final chapter. Uh, and what I found for the whole adventure is that it's it's really like a bunch of stuff, and then it's the long road forever, and then it's a bunch of stuff. And the, the stuff happens pretty quickly, but the long road goes on forever, at least it did in my games. Um, where the other chapters raced by, like the hunting lodge was really quick. The, um, the, the swamp and the castle were pretty long. That took a while. Uh, the... Uh, um, What's it called? The 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 Carnath Roadhouse that went quick. So things like happen, you know, things kind of happen real quick, and characters are leveling quickly. My guys, you know, my players are all like, "Wow, we were like seven two two sessions ago, and now we're eight. You're like we're leveling quick." Um. So I, but I completely redid, and I'll I'll be writing up an article on Sly Flourish about how I redid stuff. I got rid of the vampire. I changed uh, one major thing is I changed the motivation of the cloud giant because the cloud giant's motivation in the book is like he kind of hates dragons and he thinks that by joining the dragons he'll have a better chance of killing dragons. And you're like that is the stupidest story I've ever heard. Um. Yeah, it's ridiculous. So I uh, changed his motivation that his children have been kidnapped by hill giants, uh, aided by the cult of the dragon. And then Rath Modar, the red wizard, had been continually charm monstering him until eventually he became this like possessed guy that uh, was running the ship on behalf of the cult because his sons were kidnapped. And the party had to break his charm or beat the crap out of him and then strike a deal with them that we, they would go rescue his children and he would turn the castle over to them. And, uh, so now, uh, the next, you know, I think I, I can say it cause my wife's upstairs. Uh, the next adventure is going to be, uh, studying in the hill giant chief. And I'm, I'm jumping back to first edition. Um, because nice touch. Yeah. Well, cause rise of Tiamat is actually really thin when it comes to adventure locations. It's also kind of a thin, the thread of the story is pretty thin too, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, because it's not organized play and I can do what I want. I'm totally changing the hell out of that adventure, and I've got like three big things I want to add to the adventure, um, that aren't in it. And you know, there's like a lot more red wizard stuff that I want to put in. There's some undead stuff that I want to put in. Uh, I want to, you know, I want to have them return to some of the more interesting sites that were in the first one. And uh, and I'm going to use steading of the hill giant chief so they can fight a whole big pile of hill giants and go rescue the cloud giant kids. 
And um, one thing I'm, I'm having fun with now is I'm and I, I'm having fun. I don't know if my players are going to like it and we're going to have to figure it out because I got a lot of squinted looks at when I brought it up yesterday. Yes, <laughs> they have a uh, cloud. They have a cloud giant flying city or flying castle that's now theirs. Right. The, the cloud giant guy said, if you save my kids, I'll run this for you. And as long as you get revenge against dragons, I'm on your side. So they got a pilot. But it's a it's a it's a keep. And that's got maintenance. Like, you know, you don't you don't get to just fly it around. You know, first of all, it takes a lot of energy to keep that thing afloat. And second, it actually takes a fair amount of skilled labor in order to keep the thing from falling apart. Uh, you know, like it's built out of a giant piece of ice for one. So so I wrote up like a uh, like a, a summary of the costs. And, you know, the costs are to just keep it maintained um, is 250 gold a day, which is. I think a hundred. It's that's 150 gold more than keeping up a regular keep, according to the DMG rules, right? Because they looked at the DMG rules and said, "Oh, that would make sense." I'm like, "Yeah." The difference is that's for a keep that's on the ground. You know, this and one's not flying made of ice. and not made of ice. So yeah, so the deal is that it actually takes pretty skilled artisans to keep the thing from falling apart because it's a flying city. Um, and the uh, and then the artisans need their crew to take care of them, the people that run the you know run the rest of it, cook food and clean things and take care of you know non skilled labor, unskilled labor. And then uh, you need three wizards that are continually going around refreezing stuff because you know it's melting continually, so they always have to refreeze it and make sure it stays strong, and 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 handle other you know magically sort of things. And, th- and wizards are expensive, so they cost fifty gold pieces a day just to keep a wizard on board. Um, and then I said, okay, and the power that's required to move this thing around, it actually requires the absorption of magical energy, particularly that of magical items. And the cost for that is you can, there's a generator that you can hurl magical items into, and it will let the castle move one mile for every 10 gold pieces of the value of the item. So now they can hurl like crap they don't want into this thing, and that lets them move the castle around from place to place. And I hope that power source doesn't generate very much heat because the castle's. Yeah, that's a good point, right? It's pretty. It's pretty efficient. Yeah, it's a pretty efficient power source. Yeah. Um, So that's a good. That's a good point. And then you got to have the wizards refreeze crap. So, um, so then they immediately start saying like, "Well, what if we just keep it up north, like in the you know in the spine of the world? And what if we land it?" Like, then we don't have to pay all this crap. And I was like, well, okay, so that's fair. You know, that's reasonable. If you don't want to fly it around, you don't have to. You can land it. And, you know. I'm ha- I'm having this I'm having this really awesome campaign idea where the poor the poor keep is is starving for energy and it starts it starts attracting all of the magic users in the world and they they are compelled to, right, to, to go, give, go feed it. They don't it. even know what they're looking yeah. for and they're going to get there and they're going to be sucked into the to the magic eater right. and killed and and pretty soon there's not going to be any any magic all the magic users are going to have to go in hiding and and be in places where they can't be reached by the the compelling power in. right right <laughs> sorry totally yeah so that, that, that gets in like the 13th age living thing right like it's a sentient yeah, place exactly. and it is kind of sentient because yeah. it's got a ghost that controls that that kind of controls it the, the ghost mm-hmm. of the uh, the cloud giant's wife is there oh uh, escalorada right. so um yeah so i like this idea and oh yeah, so they're like, well, what if we park it up north? And I'm like, that's fine, you know. It, it still requires skilled labor, and I and you could mm-hmm. probably get away with a skeleton crew for maybe fifty gold, but it's gonna start breaking down. Like you're better off paying the hundred gold. And I'm like, hundred gold a day is a lot. And I'm like, well, you did just get like twenty five thousand gold in a horde, you know, like <laughs> you just picked up the horde. Yeah. But then the yeah. big question they've got is, oh yeah, do we have to return that? And I'm like, well, I think legally you do, right? Like that that belongs to the sword coast, not to you. So there's a lot of interesting sort of fun, you know, this is kind of the aftermath of adventure where like they've been riding and now it's like, oh my God, we got to maintain this place. And now we got to deal with the freaking politicians of Waterdeep and figure out how to redistribute the money from Sword Coast, right? Uh, so the mis- I, I don't know if it was a mistake. I still would say that, you know, from a from a story perspective, it, there's a good purpose. They were fighting Glazale. Glazale is the big white dragon that's in the bottom. And in the book, it's an adult, it's like CR 14 or something. And he breathes for 56 damage. Sorry, he breathes for 56 damage, which is enough to knock out level seven characters if they don't save. And they fought, and they were fighting him on the deck of the ship or on the deck of the castle, which meant that the dragon had free reign to fly wherever it wanted. 
and it breathed and it feared and then it landed and clawed and bit and I didn't have it use any legendary actions till the end. And then I had the horn sound. And meanwhile, they see dotted across the sky, other dragons are flying north as well. Like something called the dragons. And they're like, well, that sucked. I wanted to kill that thing. <laughs> like, I think they did a third of its hit points. But they're like, oh, yeah, we had it. Um, so that, they, they felt that that was kind of a letdown as a conclusion to the adventure, like the idea that they're fighting a dragon and it gets away. And if I thought about it that, I might have said, yeah, look, look, let them go ahead and fight it. Um, although I probably would have made it a young dragon instead of an adult and given it some minions to fight at the same time. Because um, as an adult, I think if it got more than a couple of breath weapons, it's going to start dropping people pretty quick. Well, yeah. uh, and what I read online is a lot of people ran it and it dropped people. Well, it's um, not the natural conclusion of the story either. It's, it's supposed to be like a cliffhanger before the next part, right? It is, but you know, it's still like this is an adventure on its own, so there ought to be a nice conclusion. Yeah. But they also killed Resmir last week, and that was a big fight, and they really liked that. So um, having killed Resmir, you know, so I said like, well, Resmir is the main one, and they got that. So this is sort of kind of claiming the castle was the big deal, and then now it's this, you know, whoa, the dragons all took flight. You know, things are things are getting real on the dragon side. Now, the interesting thing is I'm not running it by the book in the sense that uh, the masks are not critical to, this, to the summoning of Tiamat. And now I'm going to my, my lazy DM ways of saying, okay, so Severin just lost the horde, and Severin lost one of the masks. You know, what's he got to do now to get Tiamat out of hell? And how is he going to do it? And you know, what's his perspective? What you know, he he he's going to find out about this. I don't know how soon, but he's going to find out pretty soon, and he's got to figure out what to do. Uh, then the other question is, what are the other worm speakers doing, and why you know why are they where they are? Why are they not all with Severin? You know, uh, so so there's some questions about that I got to figure out about why they are doing what they're doing, and and what is Severin doing to try to keep the summoning happening, and how you know. Every step that they take that that they succeed in helps ensure that if Tiamat is, rises, she won't be as ungodly awful as she would be if she came right out. You know, if she was perfect. Um, so that's you know that's I, I've got a lot of good, interesting, fun homework to do to run part two uh, that I'm eager to do. And of course, it's going to get harder because now I'm also running a different adventure on every on on weekends. Um, so that'd be, that'd be a good time. So it was, it was fun. I think people really enjoyed it. I enjoyed running it. Um, I think the, you know, there's parts of it that are a mess. I'm hoping that, uh, Princes of the Apocalypse is a little less a mess because by then they had the monster manual and knew what encounter balance is going to be like. Uh, so we'll have to see, but, uh, I love, I still like the story and I'm really looking forward to running the next, the next session, even though the adventure as written isn't great. I think there's a lot of good seeds and a lot of interesting things that I can do with it. I really feel like uh, it was sort of a boon and a bane for uh, for for the guys for for Steve Winter and and Wolfgang Bauer to uh, to get the sort of first the first yeah. fifth edition you know adventure because yeah the rules weren't done and the monster man yeah. wasn't wasn't you know complete and and even now so one of the things i'm going to talk about when when your your time is up in about 10 seconds and one of the things i'm going to yeah. talk about is related to something that you often talk about and that is encounter balance i mean I, it's just yep. you know even even with the 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 solidified or final monster manual uh numbers and even for the yeah. um for the uh, finalized DMG, you know, encounter building rules and all that. Yep. They're still, yep. they're hinky. They're not, they're yep. not right. Yep. Um, save, save some time in your talk so we can talk about that yeah, problem. Yeah, that's, that's basically all that, all that mine's going to be. I'm going to spend about three minutes Great. talking about what happened and then, you know, Great. And talk about it. Because I got, I got, I got thoughts. Yeah, I do too. So, all right. uh, Andy, do you have any questions for Mike before we move on? Uh, I'm looking forward to this discussion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good. Um, okay. Well, then I will set my timer and I will go. Um, so uh, my fifth edition group met. Um, so I, so a, a quick update actually with my other my other game. My other group is I'm going to run Castles and Crusades. I'm going to run it, uh, uh, which I just wrote a, a really long review on for my blog. So plug plug plug. Um, but I'm going to run a Planescape campaign there. I'm going to run the March of the uh, Madrones. 
and Madrans. Mm. Madr- I can't. I don't know how to pronounce it, but uh, I'm going to run the the Great Madron March in Planescape, but I'm going to run it in Castles and Crusades. And so, so I'm prepping that, and so I'm kind of in the middle of that. So I don't really want to talk about it a great deal because I'm I'm sort of right in the middle, and I haven't really worked out some things. Um, and and I think the fifth edition conversation is more interesting at this point because uh, because there's a lot to talk about. So um, my fifth edition group is the group that was in the temple, and uh, the temple was a sentient temple, and then they defeated all of the bad guys in the temple. They went back to the colony, and um, they uh, were asked by the leaders of the colony to um, travel north and try to find... Um, so the the every, things were going wrong in the colony, and so half of the colony, or two-thirds of the colony, left and traveled north because they had been told... Um, that there was cloudless lands up to the north. So, you know, part of the problem is there's still a bunch of cloud cover all over everything, and they can't get the crops to grow right, and they can't get, you know, their building materials are weird because there's not enough sunlight, and there's just all kinds of weird stuff going on. So they left and went north. So the group came back after defeating the the denizens of the temple, and uh, the, the, the colony is very happy with them, and they're, they're just, they think everything's great, and they, they asked the group to travel north to try to find the the people from the colony who had gone to to try to find a better place to establish the colony. And so the group said, okay, and they traveled north, and they went about five days, and they came across a very small village um, at the crossroads of what looks like an ancient road. So um, they they get there, and a, and a bunch of uh, of the locals from the village come out, and they're all smiles, and they're very friendly, and they're they're just great, and everything's okay, and they they're you know the the group is immediately suspicious of them because they are just so happy, and how can anyone be happy uh, and and live down in this area, and and what are they growing? And they talked about their fields of crops, but they don't see any fields of crops, and. So they get led into the forest, and they're shown these 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 fields of mushrooms and these weird other plants and everything, and and that's all they can grow here. And so there's just all kinds of suspicious things going on. Um, and the group's really suspicious, but they decide that they will. Um, so the the t- name of the little village is Croston, and they decide that they will. Um, they'll they'll accept the hospitality of the group, and they take a a a night. Um, and they rest in the in the little inn there in the town. And of course, around about midnight or 1 a.m., they hear some noises, and they had someone on watch, and the guy notices that several of the townspeople um, are coming toward the inn where all of the party was sleeping. And so they get there, and then they the party starts hearing chanting, and um, all of the people who were who were all smiles and very nice during the day suddenly, you know, their skin kind of flakes off, and they are these really horrible looking zombie type creatures underneath, and they are trying to capture the party and force them over to an outside temple, and of course the party fights back. So there's a there's a fight, and um, they find out who one of the main villains is, and. And I brought in a a an NPC who had been established as the enemy of one of the PCs when we way back in the beginning when we started the campaign several months ago. Uh, I had done a cooperative party building exercise, and so they all ended up describing a, an enemy that they had and some allies that they had. And one of the enemies that one of the players chosen was a, a wizard who had been exiled from the pillar, and so he was forced to leave and come down to the to the uh, to the lower lands where all the cloud cover is. And that's who this villain ended up being. And he looked like a white. So they freaked out, thinking, oh, this white's going to be very tough, and and he started calling them by name, a couple of them, and they were like, who is this guy? And they had to do all this investigating, figure out who it is. Um, and it was a really satisfying ending to that session, and, and they kind of left on a cliffhanger because they defeated the guy, but they don't really know what's going on. Um, and so – uh, and so then we ended that session. So so that's basically what's going on. So the game is going great. I mean, the story's great, and and I'm I'm sort of um I'm I'm I have some things planned out, but it's it's kind of it's it's on its way, and everybody's happy, and everybody's having a good time. But here's the problem. 
The problem is I've got um, I've got five fourth level PCs. Well, no, I've got four fifth level, four fourth level PCs, and one third level PC. Mm-hmm. And um, if you do the math, what that means is uh, an, e- an easy encounter should uh, consist of about 575 experience points worth of creatures. And a medium would be 1,150, a hard encounter would be 1,725, and a deadly encounter, based on the, the Monster Manual and the Dungeon Master's Guide, a deadly encounter would be a 2,400 experience point you know, set of monsters. Um, and the, and then you the, you know then you do this sort of uh, they have this weird um, you look at how many monsters are in the fight and you multiply the exp- the experience points by that right. so that you don't you don't you don't just go by the flat experience points and so I did all that and I set up all these you know I had all these possible encounters that could happen in these different locations and I did a whole bunch of work because previously I had not done that in fifth edition I had been using uh, I'd just been cribbing from published stuff and so I wasn't I wasn't really doing the math myself i was just going by by what was in the published stuff and then adjusting it on the fly and i thought you know i mm-hmm. really want to see if this this works and and how well it works and you know now that the characters are fourth level they're pretty powerful you know the first and second level you know pcs <laughs> in fifth edition are very squishy but by the time it doesn't get better by the time they get to third and fourth <laughs> level it's like they're suddenly really powerful yeah um, right and so i had all these these encounters and so i set up so the encounter that they had that they actually fought was um was supposed to be a hard to deadly encounter um it was it was more than the deadly experience point value, but several of the creatures were basically low level zombies. So they, right. they have very low hit points, very low AC and, or actually middle, middle range hit points, but very low AC. So they're going to get hit every time they get attacked. Basically, I don't think they got missed at all, but there was like 12 of those. So that adds up quite a bit. Um, and and then and then so because they they were just wiping them out I knew that I so when I did the calculation I did sort of 12 to 24 cuz I wasn't sure how easy they were going to be cuz they also zombies have that thing where you know if they get hit if yeah. they save if they make a con save then they don't actually die they get one more round basically um and of course I couldn't make a con save to save my life so of course no one did that um but then I had this white and a white is supposed to be a really powerful you know I think of whites as very scary creatures you know they have that they have that level drain thing going on in previous editions and it's been uh tempered a little bit in this edition because um it's not a level drain it's a life drain so you actually yeah. if you get hit they can uh drain they do necrotic damage and then if the target doesn't make a con save which is very low dc 13 um they um take their maximum hit points gets reduced by whatever the damage that was done by the necrotic. So that could be very bad because if you get like three of those in a row and it forces yeah, it right. forces their maximum right, it forces yeah. their maximum hit points to zero, they die. So that it's still right. it's still a very dangerous thing, right? Um, this party plowed through twenty four zombies and a white. Wow. Um, with no problem. I mean, not a. Wizards? No problem. Two two wizards. There's two wizards in my yeah. party. <laughs> That's going to be a problem. It's a lot of fireballs. Two wizards. Oh, no. They're not even they're fifth not level, even are fifth they? They're not fifth level. Wow. So, wait till they get fireball. Two wizards, a cleric, and a um, a fighter, and a thief. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the cleric is third level. Everybody else is fourth level. And um, they weren't even well rested because it had interrupted their rest. So mm-hmm. they didn't even have, you know, but they had been traveling, so they actually had all their spells, but they were a little bit fatigued. So I was like, had they had different, you know, disadvantages and stuff, and they still, they just whipped so much butt. It wasn't even funny. Like, it wasn't even a fight. It was more of an exercise of, well, how many zombies is it going to take for me to actually do some damage to you? Because the white was also such a, a an easy-to-hit creature um, and of course, he was standing back and doing damage from long range for a while, and I, I actually upped his damage and made him pretty dangerous because they needed to know that he was the main dangerous guy. That was for story reasons, but I didn't know that by the time one of them caught up to him, he was just going to fall like that. I mean, you know, he's he had a 38 hit points, 
And so they, they basically would have killed him in about two rounds. So what I had to do was on the fly, because he was a main, he's a major NPC, I sort of did this thing where I, I, I added a, um, a, a contingency that if they don't do radiant damage to him, he cannot die. Because I knew they had radiant damage available. So they can do as much damage as they want. And as long as they have exceeded his maximum hit points, he'll die as soon as he takes any radiant damage. But if he doesn't take any radiant damage, he's not going to die. So it's kind of a take on the whole, you know, kill the troll with fire and then it won't regenerate. But if you don't, it's going to regenerate so you can never kill it. Um, and they still just, I mean, they just decimated this entire group. It was not, it was not mm-hmm. even a, a challenging fight. And this was supposed to be the deadly fight. And mm-hmm. so I started mm-hmm. looking at the other things. So the, the sort of encounters I have set up was the zombies and, and the white. And then I had another encounter that was um, that was set up to be um, in a forest. They were gonna uh, they were gonna run across. Sorry, they were going to run across a um, an edder cap layer. And there were mm-hmm. going to be um, several spiders and a couple of giant spiders. And if they spent any time in the forest trying to figure out any information about the the um, the fungal um, uh, crops that the, the people were growing, they would have uh, possibly run across a uh, twig blight area. Um, and the tr- the twig blights were going to be um, have it, having. They were going to have been mind-controlled by a grell. So I had a grell there ready for them, and that was going to be like a deadly encounter. Um, and then if they investigated it more, they were going to find a little sort of abandoned tower uh, that used to be an old hidden wizard's library. And there was a Nothic in there and a couple of animated armors guarding some important different artifacts that they have to find. So I have all these, and, and basically every single one of these is either hard or deadly. Um, and after mm-hmm. that zombie white fight, I am just like, there's no way these aren't even going to be deadly at all. Like this is going to be nothing. Mm. The, what are they? So what are they doing? What are they? How are they getting around it? Uh, getting around. I mean, what? Where, well, so what? Are there any particular spikes that you're seeing in in the PC output that's accounting for it? Like the example I have is, you know. I, I like uh, I ran a hard battle yesterday, and one of the characters cast Banish on one of the elemental creatures, and it poofed out of existence before it even attacked. That's going to have an obvious effect on the encounter balance. Is there something that you're seeing like that? You know, I'm not. I, I'm. They're all just putting out. They're all a just, good amount of damage. They're all put and because I started watching when they were really um, when they started taking the zombies out really, and I was so to be fair, I was rolling really poorly. Um, which, you know, sometimes that can swing an entire battle, but I was, I was also watching theirs and they hit only about 60 to 70% of the time. I mean, it wasn't like they were just every time they're just bashing in the skulls of these creatures. Um, but they just, they put out a lot of damage output and the cleric and the fighter have such high ACs. I couldn't hit them. Yeah, um, right. And right. and so they're standing there, and of course they were being tanks like they like they do, and mm-hmm. I couldn't, I had no maneuverability, so that was my fault because it's zombies, so they're not supposed to be maneuverable, you know. They were supposed to be a mm-hmm. mass of zombies that was just so oppressive in its in its humongousness that that they would, you know. And the cleric, of course, turned some of them, but not even all of them, and they still, you know, it was just yeah. it was just such a. Um, it was like an easy fight for them, and I and I didn't want it to be. I didn't really want it to be deadly. I wanted it to be mm-hmm. challenging, though, because I wanted them to be introduced to the main bad guy, and then I wanted him to have a reason to be able to get the heck out of Dodge because he needed to survive. Yeah, right? that's always tricky. Um, and so I wanted it to be deadly enough that they could be pinned down a little bit, but and he could escape if he needed to, but not so deadly that they think I'm just trying to railroad them into dying. You know, right, um, right. And I just. You know, because of that fight, I'm just now I'm sort of looking over the PC sheets and I'm looking at my other the math for these things. I'm looking at the special powers for these these creatures for these fights that I'm doing. And I'm just like, you know, this the mm-hmm. grill seems like it's going to be really, really tough. But, you know, mm-hmm. it has an AC of 12. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, they're mm-hmm. going to if they get close to it, they're going to whip its butt. No problem, because their ACs are really high and hits really low. Mm-hmm. So I don't I don't know mm-hmm. I, I haven't really analyzed it enough to uh, to be able to sort of come up with 
oh, there's my timer, to come up with, um, you know, ways around it. But because I think I just need to, I need to work with it more. But, you know, what are your thoughts? You've, you've been, you know, doing- uh, I think so. I have a, I have a bunch of thoughts. I'll try to be quick. I know we hit time. Um, one, the encounter balance, the encounter balance rules are totally screwed up. Mm-hmm. Uh, they fail in two ways. Uh, way number one is they're far too hard to implement when you're doing all sorts of cross-referencing across two different tables. Right. And two, they don't work even if you do. Yeah. They're like, like you, like you've, like you've seen, they don't, they don't, they don't mm-hmm. come out. Uh, I'm actually working, uh, I've been working on for a few weeks now an article for Sly Flourish about how, another take on encounter balance. And I'll give you the cheat sheet right now. Uh, I don't think this necessarily solves your problem, but it makes it easier to make combat. It makes it easier to have battles. Okay. One is uh, you only ever worry about the hard uh, number. Right. Uh, instead, you know, I, I ignore all the other numbers. And my, my gauge is, is it easier than that or harder than that? And you just base it on, well, I, did I pick monsters that are yeah, above that or below that? That's why that, I made right? hard and dif- and deadly encounters, because I looked at the easy yeah. and, the, and the medium, and I'm like, Yeah, why whatever. bother? Yeah, right. they're not going to. Well, and know. it doesn't, it takes no effort to come up with right. an easy yeah, one. Exactly. You know, just throw small things right. at them. Like, it's not hard. Yeah. So, but if you have a single number, you say, okay, this is the, and in the rules, you're, they're expecting a certain number of normal or hard battles. Mm-hmm. So you say, okay, if I keep it, if I keep it south of hard, most of the time, I'm going to be okay. And then if I want to have a hard fight, I'll go a little bit harder than hard. But it's just a baseline, right? Instead of thinking of it as a hard rule, it's a gauge that says, this is probably roughly what you should be shooting mm-hmm. for. Uh, so that that's one fast way. Another fast way is that we can ignore the experience budgets and instead do math on the CR to determine what monsters we should have against what PCs. And this gets to 13th Age and 4th Edition style stuff. And the numbers come out to, uh, for every monster that you have facing up against a single PC, the monster CR should be between a third and a fourth of the PC's level. Okay. In other words, if I've got a, um, uh, uh, if I, you, what your characters are fourth level? Yeah, most of them, yeah. So a third of four is slightly more than one. Right. So somewhere between one and two is the right for is for a single monster going up against a single PC. Mm-hmm. So if you have five PCs, you have five monsters. They should be between one and two. And that's a nice rule of thumb because that's going to be a pretty decent fight. Like you're, you know, you're going to have a lot of action economy. There's enough monsters that they can't really focus on any one of them and just down it real quick. Um, a level a CR one monster is actually pretty tough. Um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to look through here and see if I can find a CR a CR, a good CR one monster. Um, but, uh, so that's a good, like, there's a Nothic, but that's CR two, but that's an example. So I said like just South of, you know, just South of a CR, a Nothic is AC 15, 45 hit points. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has a rotting gaze attack with a right. constitution save and stuff like that. So, um, you know, they're, they're pretty decent. That's a decent rule of thumb. And then you can, you can change it a little bit and say for every, two monster for every two pc if you want one monster for every two pcs like you want big guys then it's roughly three-fourths of the level of the pc uh you know so you can kind of think of like a third or three-fourths right. is a good one i'm gonna in the article i'm gonna have a table that says here's here's different monsters at this different level look a lot like the fourth edition table that's based on the math in the dmg right right now the the problem is as you've seen Sometimes groups just kick the, those things asses anyway. Mm-hmm. Well, if, if you have a table that says, like, this is the CR, well, you can just keep going up the table and treating them like they're higher level than they are until eventually you get to the point where you're like, okay, that's now a good challenge. Right. Right? And, and the, it makes it – the scale is easy. So while I think that encounter rules are totally screwed up, the encounter balance rules, the encounter creation mm-hmm. rules are screwed up, the nice thing is the rest of the game is okay enough that we can just fix it. Right. Well, right. we I mean, can we can come up with another model. And, oh yeah. And fix I mean, it. and I could totally, you know, I adjust things on the fly all the time. If I if I need yeah. more creatures there or less creatures there, you know, that I I can easily make up things that 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 work. I was just, you know, I was a little bit. I I was sort of, you know, I was sort of chuckling yeah, to myself sucks. that you know, yeah. oh, well, here's this whole you know section. It talks about this and as you I as know. you multiply oh, like right. the it's number of monsters and blah 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 blah, but it doesn't really even work. So right, that's that's the problem, right? It's hard and it doesn't yeah. work. Like it'd be great if it if, if it was hard. Okay, I I don't like it because it you know it goes against the philosophy of the lazy dungeon master. Right. I want to be able to build an encounter right now mm-hmm. with nothing and have no plan for it and be able to do it quickly. And I can't do it with that table. Um, 
here's a tiger as a CR1 as an example, and it's got a plus five and a bite that does 1d10 plus three, and it can pounce, and it's got 37 hit points. Another good cheat, and here's one that uh, probably, uh, you know, will get me doxxed and attacked. <laughs> but um, one thing is I'll, I'll change the hit points a lot. Mm-hmm. And one of them is if you look at the hit points, it has the hit dice next mm-hmm. to it. And if I have a particularly good group that's tough, I'll just max those hit yeah, points. Yeah. And that just buys it another round or two. But it's enough that it adds a good challenge to it. And I almost always do it for bosses because bosses are always needed. Anybody that's going to be a lightning rod should, should go ahead and have high hit points. Yeah, and I don't even not- think that's really cheating. Because no, that, that's something I, I constantly because because you could always roll right? right you could always roll for hit points you could always roll for it you could always roll max why well, I I, yeah. I always it's not likely I always roll hit but points. maybe that guy did yeah I always roll hit points but like I did with the white as soon as I realized okay they're gonna take him out really quick I yeah. did something to mediate that so that he was more of a threat to them and they had to yeah. sort of puzzle it out and figure out okay well how do we damage this guy then because right. obviously what we're doing is not working. Because they did something like 200 hit points of damage to this guy. Yeah, right. You know? And and you're right. So they so here's here's another here's a thing that I found to be freeing once I discovered it. And it was like I started bitching about Moon Druids on Twitter, <laughs> and other people started bitching about uh, barbarians on right. Twitter, and other people started bitching about rangers, and other people started bitching about fighters, and other people bitched about mages. And then I realized, you know what? They're all equally that's unbalanced. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I said that, that that's good because that means I don't have to worry about. Like now, all I have to do is find the right numbers. Right. Exactly. <laughs> right? Exactly. Like, if they're if they're powerful, that's great. I bet they're not powerful enough to take two dragons on it at mm-hmm. at a time. You know, I bet I can make enough monsters. Right. So, uh, you know, and the monsters are difficult. Like, it's not like there's an upper cap of monsters and like, wow, above here I'm out of luck. Mm-hmm. Like, we can always throw harder monsters at them. And if we all, you know, if the community gets together and through a hundred thousand games and tons of thought and and you know, lots of math nerds. We can look at it and say, "Here's a better encounter balance chart that works because mm-hmm. we've all run it." Right. You know, I think I think we can fix it, um, and it's a fixable thing because unlike fourth, we don't totally screw up battles if we add monsters or make them bigger because the fights are so fast right. anyway. Well, and see, that's the thing is I, is I'm not sure that. I mean, I, I, you know, and I know I just sat here and said in my whole section, like, it's broken, it doesn't work. I don't actually know if it's broken though. I just think that it's not. It's it wasn't at the challenge level that I wanted it to be, so right. I need to just adjust my thinking to to how I set those up. I need to spend more time figuring out how I'm going to set those up in a good mix of medium, hard, deadly, mm-hmm. right? Rather than I mean, you know, rather than try to just do it strictly by the math and you know, because the math it isn't it doesn't work strictly straight out. So right. I'm not sure it's broken. I think it works as they're intending it, but they didn't. But the the characters are so powerful at, at yeah. after third level that you know yeah. it's just yeah. not it's not um, it's and, not working yeah. as well for me as I want it to. It's not as challenging. Right, right, right. There's there's one other aspect um, that I'm discovering, and it's one that I don't. It's uh, just like that everybody is equally broken. Mm-hmm. All character classes are equally yeah. broken, which means none of them are broken. Mm-hmm, right. Um, I mean that's by design, well, right? So that that's why that's I guess, what I mean yeah, when I say all, I'm not sure. It's right. it's yeah. Yeah. The, and and this is a hard thing for I think us four E players and maybe thirteenth place players getting into this. Five uh, E is spiky as hell. Like, it's got giant spikes and giant gaps. And there could be times where people are doing four damage, and then the next round they do right. 56. And, you know, the, and, and like, seriously, the, the power, you know, you think fourth level powers of power, you know, characters are powerful. Wait till fifth. Wait till you get wizards with lightning bolt and fireball. And it's a totally different game. Like, when they're doing 86 damage a lot, you know, against lots of targets, it is, you know, it's a totally different thing. And, you know, I'm, I'm, embracing that like i'm like you know good i want to have fights where it's like wow bad roll against you guys you Mm -hmm. got really hurt and you got to scramble and good for you 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 know you 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 used your fourth level spell to cast banish on the on the on the air elemental and it worked well and that's the thing (laughs) right like i'm not gonna take that away turned did turn undead and half the zombies took off i cheered for the players it's like yes that's exactly what you want to happen 
and it made yeah, it, yeah we don't we don't need every fight to be a perfectly exactly, nice balanced exactly five but at fight. the same time if they walk through every single battle like that that means that i need to adjust yes. stuff and that's what that's right. what i'm you right. know what i'm pushing yeah on and i think i think we can create a sliding scale of difficulty where we basically just say you know what if you guys are having an easier time like i i joke about the fact that if if somebody throws a moon druid in a group i just count it as two pieces mm. instead of one <laughs> you know and and that just slides right. the scale a little bit right and and this idea of like if your groups you know if you want an easy fight you know go up the scale if you want a harder fight go down the scale you know or go you know go down the chart so that your your um you know your monsters are tougher or there's more of them and, you know, I think that that can work. Um, I just it bothers me that there isn't a quick way for us to figure out, you know, what they should be fighting and never, you know, the other rules never, ever, ever have them fight one creature by itself. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no, that that. Yeah, I I learned that. They'll just, you know, they'll just, you know, it. I think the thing is we got spoiled by fourth edition because one of the things yeah, that fourth edition right. did so well because it was so balanced was give us a table and here you go. You can. You can yeah. plan any encounter, and you know exactly how hard it's going to be. There are still some variety things in there going on, different role percentages and all that kind of crap. But mostly, you know exactly how hard or how difficult that's going to be for your given players. Yeah, but encounter balance and fourth is yeah, screwed yeah. up too. Yeah, at higher levels, definitely. Um, but yeah, you yeah. know, there was there was a nice good uh, set of levels in the heroic tier that that it worked really well. Um, but yeah, it's just it's just meant to be, and that's why I say it's not that it's broken necessarily because it's meant to be more swingy. It's very much more old school, and I actually like that. I just wasn't expecting it because I went through and did the math exactly like it said, and I know better. I know better, yeah. but you know, it was right. But we're trying to, you yeah. know, if we're going to play the system, exactly. we got to play the system exactly. and then fix it. That's exactly right. it. So yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree a hundred percent. And that's even my even my crazy ass encounter building thing. One thing I went through like every single cell on this giant table and said mathematically, it's still mm -hmm. the system. Right. right. Like I didn't I didn't make things easier or harder. I said this. You know, if you go down your chart and you say I have level seven PCs and I want them to fight one monster per PC, then this is the right number, which I think is like three or right. you know two or three. Um, then that's if you were to do it that way, you would see that 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 is in fact a hard a hard battle. Exactly. Yeah. So um, yeah, so I I agree, and I think it's an interesting. Sorry, I, I hope people aren't too bored by this. No. Conversation uh, I'm looking I think forward to the uh, single sheet chart like you had for four e. I will I will send you a draft. Because uh, it'll, it'll that's almost great, then you could just sit there and yeah, then you could just sit there and create stuff on the fly. Just you, you, you don't even have to open the monster that's, book. That's you exactly just, yeah. Well, I think you still they got to open the monster book, but you don't have to open the DMG. Yeah. You know, like you don't have to figure out the math. You could just say okay, and you can do it in your head. Really, that's why I said like if you you know if you want to just have a general baseline fight is. Um, you know, one monster per PC, and you just say it's somewhere between a quarter and a third the CR of the PC. Well, before, if you know what level your characters are, you can write that down beforehand, and you can come up with a whole bunch of different right. fights yeah. around that. And you can say, like, okay, well, this guy's going to be a little higher, this one's going to be a little bit lower, but they'll be roughly the same. All right, well, that was a great discussion. It went a little long, but uh, I think it's it's good, and so I'm going to leave it in there. And, uh, and thanks for listening, and hopefully you enjoy this conversation as much as we obviously do. <laughs> I've been waiting for somebody to talk about that. <laughs>